Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious Father, we bow before you in humble adoration. Father, we thank you for your great grace. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus, to save us from our sin. Father, we thank you for not leaving us to walk this road alone, but for giving us brothers, for giving us sisters, for knitting our hearts together in love for one another and for you. Father, would you bless your people this day? Would you feed your sheep? Would you give us what we need? And through it all, would you take glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. St. Paul the Apostle's letter to Titus chapter 2. And I want to review with you this morning some very practical counsel that the great apostle gives to this young bishop. Because, listen, Paul's instruction to Titus is God's instruction to us. And as I mentioned, it's very practical. So, Bill, I have in my notes a tentative title for this sermon. How to live and what to talk about. How to live and what to talk about. Titus is one of three pastoral epistles in the New Testament. The other two being 1st and 2nd Timothy. And these pastoral epistles are just invaluable because in them, the great apostle, Paul, he instructs these young preachers about what's important and what's not. About what to emphasize and what to minimize. Genealogies? No. He tells them about what kind of men to ordain as deacons. What kind of men to ordain as elders. Very, very practical instruction. And even sometimes he tells them what to preach about. Remind them of this, he says. Tell them this and tell them again and tell them again and then tell them again. Paul appointed Titus as the bishop of Crete. And he left Titus with some very specific instructions. He wrote, the reason that I left you in Crete is that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town just as I directed you. Titus 1.5, that's the New International Version. So Paul is writing to Titus and telling him how Christians are to live and what they're to talk about. Please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. And look down to verse 11. The great apostle wrote, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to, or for, all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, 
righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. You may be seated. Well, how to live and what to talk about. And Paul's words are precise in this text. And note the apostolic assertion of the deity of Christ. Look there in verse 13, how Paul links Jesus the Savior with our great God. Megalutheau. Mega God. Our great God. Paul preaches, listen, Paul preaches Jesus as truly a man, the son of Mary. But Paul preaches Jesus as God over all. So he uses the poignant phrase, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen, there is no appearing of God. That doesn't happen. God the Father has said, no man shall see me and live. Exodus 33, verse 20. So, listen, the appearing of God here is the appearing of the second person of the Holy Trinity. God the Son. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the living God. Listen, Paul, Paul finds it a great delight to preach Christ crucified. Crucified in weakness, but raised in power. Jesus, the Lord, God, our Savior. Friend, if I don't say this enough, I'm going to say it as often as I can. Jesus is God. Paul teaches that Jesus is God. And by grace, He has appeared for all kinds of men. Jew men. Greek men. Slave men. Free men. Black men, white men, and Paul's Greek is generic here, Eric. So, women, men, all kinds of humans, all kinds of men are to be saved by the cross work of Jesus of Nazareth, by God our Savior. And listen, the blessed hope that he mentions here, the blessed hope of the believers is that Jesus, that God will appear again. Remember the apostolic word. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. 
And to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Hebrews 9 verse 28. So, beloved, listen. Understand. Understand what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. Remember his conversion? Do you remember when Jesus knocked Paul off of his high horse? And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And do you remember his reply? Saul said, who are you, Lord? Who are you? And the divine reply was, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Acts chapter 9 verse 5. Paul didn't know who he was dealing with. He didn't know when he was who he was dealing with. But listen, he was a quick study. He was a quick study and he learned quickly. So very quickly that 15 verses later in verse 20 we read, he that is Paul Saul preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Hmm. So understand the teaching of Paul. Paul teaches that the appearing of Jesus of Nazareth in human history, listen, Paul teaches that this is a demonstration of the graciousness of God. The grace of God has appeared for all men. By God's grace, Jesus, the divine Son, appears to men, all kinds of men. And the appearance of this grace brings salvation. A Savior, a Savior who saves all kinds of men and all kinds of women from the power of sin. And Paul teaches, listen, Paul teaches that this gracious appearance not only brings salvation, it also brings practical teaching about how to live and even what to talk about. Paul tells Titus, the appearing of God's grace in Jesus teaches us how to live. Verse 12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's a New International Version. The Net Bible translation says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. It trains us to reject godless ways and worldly desires, and to live self-controlled, upright, Godly lives in the present age. So, listen, understand the Pauline teaching here. The great objective of the revelation of divine grace in Jesus is to free men and women from the dominion of evil. See, Christian, you don't have to sin anymore. That's, that's tough, isn't it? Because you do. And you better not tell me you don't. Because you know you do. But listen, you don't have to. 
God's grace in Jesus delivers women and men from bondage to sin. Breaks chains. Beloved, listen. We sometimes lament how things in this world seem to decline. We Christians, we're sensitized to the evil, aren't we? And we see it all around us and it bothers us. Remember, it bothered righteous Lot. The Bible says that man's soul was vexed every day. Hmm. Oh, it's bad here. But, but friend, listen. Consider the Roman world in the lifetime of the great apostle. The Roman world in occupied Palestine had descended into immorality, debauchery, bloodshed, ungodliness, and every kind of cruelty that the mind of depraved and fallen man could come up with. Child murder was common. Sex slavery was pervasive. Many Colosseums, patterned after the big one at Rome, were constructed all across the empire. And common entertainment for the common people involved blood sport, gladiatorial games. Listen, public torture and execution of criminals or, or anyone who was considered an enemy of Rome in various butcheries and depravities. Y'all going to the games Friday night? Beloved, listen, if you think it's bad now, it was worse then. It was worse then. And at the midnight hour, listen, at the midnight hour of this fallen world's history, a light began to shine. And the Lord, Jesus Christ, the manifestation of divine mercy and grace, came into the realm of men to end the perverse tyranny of evil. And He did. And he did. He spoiled the principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Colossians 2.15 And saints, listen, do you understand? I, I know you do. But do you really understand that you are salt and light in an unsavory and dark world? Salt in an unsavory world. Light in a dark world. You. Uh, listen, I've heard Christians pray, Lord, help us be salt and light. Have you heard that? I've heard them pray that. And I understand what they're wanting. They're wanting to be more salty. They're wanting to shine more brightly, right? But, but listen... You and I don't have to pray to be salt and light. Friend, we are. Do you understand? You are. Folks worry about, oh, what kind of a nation will this country be based on what kind of immigrants 
come in? What kind of people settle here? What's it going to be like? And I don't know about all that. But I can tell you this. Listen, I can tell you this for sure. In any geographical area, anyone at all, a place will be better the more Christians there are there. The more Christians there are in America, the better this place will be, friend. Listen, Bill, the best thing that could possibly happen in Cambodia would be a great revival where Cambodian people, men and women and boys and girls, rejected Buddhism and Hinduism and idolatry and bowed the heart and the knee and the life to Jesus as Nazareth, the King of the universe. There couldn't be much better than that for Cambodia. And I'll tell you, the more Christians there are in a place, the better that place will be. I tell you, friend, everything good that's ever happened on this planet since the fall has happened because of Jesus of Nazareth. He's the fixer. Christians are salt. And they bring savor, the savor of life to the realms of death. And Christians are light, and they bring enlightenment. They shine with a gospel glow wherever they are. And yeah, some are not as salty as others. And yeah, some are not as bright as they should be. And preachers preach to them about that. But they're salt, and they're light. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. Not just in this church. I'm glad you're in this city, in this state, in this nation. Saints. Christians aren't perfect. But listen, they're better. They're better. They're not bound by sin. Now, they get tripped up by it from time to time. But listen... In the resurrection, we'll be like our Savior. Not only not bound by sin, not even touched by it. Listen, Paul, you know, our apostle, the apostle for us Gentiles, Paul would have Titus to know that the grace of God has appeared for all kinds of men, you know, even for Cretans. And arguably, according to church history, Titus was the bishop of Crete, and he was a Cretan. And you know, Paul didn't have a high opinion of the citizens of Crete. In chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he writes, One of themselves, one of these Cretans, a prophet of their own, has said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, that is, lazy gluttons. His witness is true, Paul says. Wherefore, Titus, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. 
Yeah, Titus, I'm appointing you the bishop at Crete. You understand these folks. They're a bunch of lazy gluttons. Preach to them about it. That they be sound in the faith. Listen, do you know what's better than a lying, lazy glutton? I'll tell you what's better than a lying, lazy glutton. What's better than a lying, lazy glutton is a Christian lying, lazy glutton. A converted lying, lazy glutton. Because when the Spirit of God goes to work on a converted lying, lazy glutton, he may not be perfect, but listen, he'll be better. He'll be better and he'll lie less. And he'll be more diligent and less lazy. And he'll be more self-controlled than he was. Less gluttonous. The gospel of grace, listen, the gospel of grace is designed by God to make men and women better. I I want to live in a country filled with Christians. Wherever you get a bunch of them, it's going to be better. Paul says that the grace of God teaches of how to live. It teaches us to say no or to deny ungodliness. It teaches us to say no to deny worldly passions or worldly lusts. It teaches us to live temperate, self-controlled, rational, sober lives. It teaches us to be righteous, to seek to follow our Master, to be like Him. You know, godly, and remember that's just a contraction for godlike. The gospel makes people into Christians. And Christians are better people. And because Christians are in the world, friend, the whole world is better. And I tell you again, everything good that's happened here is because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior. The Savior of the world. My friend, who could come up with a plan like this? Only an all-wise God. Only, only Eric, a mega theos. Only a great, great God could come up with a plan like this. Beloved, listen, Paul locates us on a timeline. Did you see that? He locates us on a timeline between two appearances. Between that first appearance of God's grace in Jesus and between another coming of the Lord from heaven, which he calls the blessed hope. And there is, as it were, a great wall of history that divides us from the past. And it begins at Bethlehem and it ends 
at Mount Calvary. Now listen, we, we even count our years from the birth of Mary's Son, the Son of God. We are in the A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And we look back to these greatest events in all history and everything that we know only has meaning in reference to them. We look back to the manger. We look back to the cross, to the appearance of God's grace, to the appearance of our Savior. But then, listen, then we look forward to another appearance. A coming appearance. And the coming appearance is not an appearance of grace. No, it's another G word. It's a coming, not of grace, a coming of glory. Immediately following Jesus' disappearance into the heavenly realm, before the eyes of His watching disciples, the Bible describes an angelic visitation. They're standing there and they see Him ascend into the heavenly realm. Next thing you know, there are two men clothed in white. While they looked steadfastly into heaven as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen Him go into heaven. Acts 1, verses 10 and 11. Paul himself teaches that the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. And I know that you know that the teaching of Holy Scripture is that Jesus is now reigning from the heavenly realm where He, Jesus, our Savior, a man of Nazareth, a human being, is somehow seated at the right hand of God. Do you understand that? Do you believe some things you don't fully understand, friend? I sure do. From the lips of Jesus, we know that God the Father is a spirit. And spirits don't have hands. So this language is what theologians call anthropomorphism. Referring to God in the language of men. As if He has hands and eyes. Somehow, Jesus is reigning from heaven, as it were, on the right hand of the majesty on high. But listen, He will appear on earth in the realm of men again. That's what the Bible teaches. He's coming back. And as the blind boys would say, he's going to hit like an atom bomb when he comes. 
Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Hebrews 9, 28. And that appearing, listen, that appearing will be the end of an age. An age bounded by two divine appearances. An appearance of grace and an appearance of glory. Friend, Jesus is coming back. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19, 15, and 16. And he shall reign forever and ever. Can you see, friend? We're like David in Psalm 139. God has compassed us about. He hath beset us behind and before and laid his hand upon us. God has appeared behind us in an appearance of grace. And He shall appear before us in an appearance of glory. And when Paul locates us on this timeline, between these divine appearances, he calls this portion of the timeline that we occupy, look there in verse 12, he calls it this present age. The age between that appearance of grace and this coming appearance of glory. Caught. Caught between two appearances. Grace and glory. And what are we to be doing? How are we to be living here in this present age? Well... We are to be saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Did you see that? And we're to be saying yes to self-control and to righteousness and to godliness. What are we supposed to be doing, Christians? What are we supposed to be doing? We're just waiting on the Lord. Yeah, but what are we supposed to be doing while we're waiting? Those things. Those things. You see, listen, grace has a discipline. Grace makes disciples. You know, Jesus is full of grace. And did you see those verbs there in verses 12 and 13 that describe what it is we're to be doing in this present age between these two appearances? Denying or saying no. Living and looking or waiting. Denying, living, and looking. Denying, living, and looking. You might want to write that down. Denying, living, and looking. What are we supposed to be doing, Christians? That. That right there. Denying ungodliness and worldly passions. Living, 
soberly, self-controlledly, living righteously, living godly, and waiting, waiting, looking for that blessed hope, the return of the King. That's what we're to be doing. That's how we're to be living. And what are we to be saying? What are we to be talking about? Well, that. It's right there in verse 15. Paul teaches Titus, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. What are you going to preach about, preacher? Well, I'm going to talk to him about you know, denying ungodly lust and worldliness. And I think I'll talk to him about living soberly, self-controlled, godly, righteous lives. And I'll remind him that we're waiting for the king's return. Bill, what are we going to preach about? Eric, what are we going to teach about? Well, got our program for the next while here. That's what we're to be doing. That's how we're to be living. That's what we're to be talking about, Christians. The English Standard Version says, declare these things. Talk about it. Preach about it. Speak about it. Encourage one another in it. Paul says, Christian, talk about these things. What things? Well, what we just talked about. About that first divine appearance. About the second divine appearance. And how we're to be living in this present age between those two appearances. Talk about these things. Christians should be talking about these things. Beloved, listen. That's apostolic guidance on how to live. And what to talk about. Pretty simple, huh? Pretty practical. Denying, living, looking. Well, I know that you know that Peter and Paul write quite differently. But their desire for purity and peace for the people of God is the same. And I'm sure you know that in antiquity, in the primitive church, most folks didn't have Bibles. And so do you know how they heard Holy Scripture? How they became acquainted with it? Guess what? We got a copy of Paul's letter to Titus from the church down the road. They let us borrow it. And we're going to have a public reading. Invite everybody you know. We're going to get to hear this. And a scribe, someone that could read stood and read it aloud. And the people of God sat in rapt attention and listened to the Holy Word. So here, this Petrine guidance, friends, by way of wrapping up. Guidance for the people of God. Guidance about how to live, even what to talk about. And this is from 1 Peter chapters 2 and 3. Just listen. Laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings and all evil speakings, as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the Word, 
that you may grow thereby. If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But to them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now hath obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul, having your behavior honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak of you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to kings as supreme, or to governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the froward. This is thankworthy. If a man for conscience before God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if you be buffeted for your faults and you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for that, you take it patiently, that is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously, who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree, 
that we, being dead to sins, should live to righteousness, by whose stripes you're healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but now are returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the behavior of their wives. While they behold your chaste behavior coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair and wearing of gold or putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. After this manner in the old time, the holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Whose daughters are you? As long as you do well and are not afraid. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one for another. Love as brethren. Have pity. Be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but rather blessing knowing that thereunto are you called, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him hate evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy or blessed are you. Be not afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you for your good behavior in Christ. How to live. Oh, let our lips and lives express the holy gospel we profess. So let our works and virtues shine to prove thy doctrine all divine. Thus shall we best proclaim abroad the honors of our Savior God. When the salvation reigns within and grace subdues the power of sin, Our flesh and sense must be denied. 
passion and envy, lust and pride, while justice, temperance, truth and love, our inward piety approve. Religion bears our spirits up while we expect that blessed hope, the bright appearance of our Lord, and faith stands leaning on His Word. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. O Holy Father of our Lord Jesus, dawn returns, but without Thy light within, no outward light can profit. O give me the saving lamp of Thy Spirit that I may see Thee, the God of my salvation, the delight of my soul, rejoicing over me in love. I commend my heart to to Thy watchful care, for I know its treachery and power. Guard its every portal from the wily enemy. Give me quick discernment of his deadly arts. Help me to recognize his bold disguise as an angel of light and bid him be gone. May my words and works allure others to the highest walks of faith and love. May loiterers be quickened to greater diligence by my example. May worldlings be won to delight in acquaintance with Thee. May the timid and irresolute be warned of coming doom by my zeal for the Lord Jesus. Cause me to be a mirror of Thy grace, to show others the joy of Thy service. May my lips be well-tuned cymbals sounding Thy praise. Let a halo of heavenly-mindedness sparkle about me and a lamp of kindness beam in my path. Teach me the happy art of attending to things temporal with a mind intent on things eternal. Send me forth to have compassion on the ignorant and the miserable. O Father, help me to walk as Jesus walked my only Savior and perfect model, His mind, my inward guest, His meekness, my covering garb. Oh, let my happy place be amongst those who are poor in spirit. May my delights be within the gentle ranks of the meek. Help me always to esteem others better than myself and to find in true humility and heirdom to two worlds. In Jesus' name, amen.